welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning, friends. I'm Jenna. If we haven't met, I'm the executive pastor here at Awaken. Welcome to you. If you are visiting or new this morning, we're really glad you're with us. Um, if you are interested in getting to know Awaken at all, find out a little bit more, um, we would love to know you are here. If you go on to our website, you can fill out a connection card. Um, someone on staff will contact you, and we would love to take you out for a beverage of your choice, go on a walk, Zoom call, kind of whatever you're comfortable with right now. Um, and again, just get to know you a little bit better. Um, as far as what is going on around here these days, uh, first, I wanted to highlight an Enneagram event uh, we are having February 12th, 9 to 11.30, hosted by Jane. Um, it's an event basically where we're modeling it off of this book, uh, Ian Cron's uh, The Story of You, um, and kind of this question of like, what does it mean to bring our truest self to relationship? So Jane is hosting that if you want to register online. Um, that is a Zoom event. Um, we have brought back contemplation gatherings. So through January and February, we've done on the second Wednesday of the month, where we've opened the space from 6 to 8. Uh, so that'll be happening again in February, the 16th, 6 to 8 on Wednesday. And we're really just creating time for you to come and be led through a reflective experience. Um, and then come Lent, basically what we'll do is shift that to weekly. Um, and again, we're just trying to think of ways like how do we create rhythm again in the midst of a very unrhythmed time? <laughs> um, and then finally, next week we are going to be back in person. So February 13th, we'll have 9.30 and 11 o'clock gatherings. Um, kids community will be available. If that is something that you want your kids to participate in, just make sure to register on the website um, or through the Awaken Weekly. There's a link. Um, just make sure kids are registered uh, before we do that. So that's kind of what I have uh, this morning. We are continuing in a series on the life and teachings of Jesus. Uh, for those of you who are maybe new, one of the things we say at Awaken as it relates to how we organize ourselves or how we orient to one another, uh, we use this metaphor of a well. And so, in part, this series is really attempting to get at, okay, if we do that, what is it exactly that's in that well? Um, and, and our answer around that is the life and teachings, death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, last week, I just loved how Micah said it, so I'm going to repeat it. Um, maybe said differently, like when we think of Jesus, um, who he is, was, how he lived, what he said, uh, what he taught... Like, what are the things that we would maybe want to keep near to us? What are the things that we would maybe want to gather around and let form us? So that's really the heart of, of what this series is. And this morning, um, I'm teaching from Mark 2, uh, verses 18 to 22. Uh, so stand if you are able for the reading of the word or posture yourself to hear the words. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with him. 
But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Would you pray with me? God, I don't know. I think I just asked this morning for your presence. God, that you would come underneath these words. Um, whatever is true, that it would just find space in us. And whatever might not be, that it would fall away, God. Would you be near to us? Would you, I guess, create a moment where we're in touch again with ourselves, each other, and you? In your name we pray. Amen. Now this passage is one of four stories in Mark 2 that kind of has this similar element that runs through it. So a couple weeks ago we heard from Pastor Kelly, and he actually taught on the opening of Mark 2 and the story, if you remember, of some friends who bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus, and they bust through a roof and they send him down. Uh, and Jesus has this interaction with this man where he says, your sins are forgiven. Uh, and then proceeds to also heal this man. And the religious leaders uh, take issue with that. Uh, the next story in this passage is, uh, is a story of Jesus eating with Levi the tax collector and other sinners. And again, the religious leaders seem to be very uncomfortable with this wild behavior of Jesus. Um, we have our passage today where Jesus and his disciples seem to think they're above this rule of fasting... And again, there's a reaction uh, regarding this behavior. And then finally, after this passage, uh, there's a story of Jesus and his disciples picking grain on the Sabbath. And wouldn't you know, the religious leaders had a thing to say about it. I'm not sure if you can see the through line there. <laughs> um, but really, in the book of Mark, Mark 2 is where that conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders really starts. And it's an element that we see through the entire gospel but what it is, is it's really this conflict between the status quo, like religious norms and expectations, and Jesus. Um, so that is, is, and it really is like the particularity of how Jesus embodies challenges to those norms. Um, so that really is just some high-level context here. And I want to be really clear about what this sermon is not about today. Um, this sermon is not about how corrupt Second Temple Judaism is and how Christianity has just superseded that and we somehow have gotten it so much better. Um, I'm not intending on creating that with my words today. Um, said differently, this is not a sermon about them. Um, this is a sermon about us and our norms and the things that we've created. Like, I'm the religious leader, quite literally. <laughs> I think it's enough for us to know that the system had become tight, heavy, that it maybe had lost its heart. And I think sometimes, like, we know how that feels when we're a part of it. Like, maybe our bodies tighten a little bit and we find ourselves really wanting to protect something that maybe actually shouldn't be protected. 
Like that impulse is in all of us. And so even though I'm teaching on this one passage this morning, what I really want to do is what that element kind of through all these passages uh, is what I really want to highlight. If this series is about like identifying the things in and about Jesus that we feel are really important to center around and let form us and shape us, um, I think this morning, or at least what I felt like I was seeing is really critical to that. Um, and if I'm being honest, also maybe a little irritating, but I think that's more how I experienced it. <laughs> um, but it's this. It's the disruption of God. And I know that that is a strong word, and I'm using it very intentionally. Disruption means this. A break or interruption in the normal course or continuation of some activity process, etc. Google defined it like this, disturbance or problems which interrupt an event, activity, or process. Um, if you all were in the room, I would ask for a show of hands of who among us thinks that sounds fun, <laughs> right? Like the controlling version of myself just is not interested in disturbance. Um, point me to where I can sign up for the fun. And it just kind of asked this question, like I felt this question in me of like, where does that resistance come from? Like isn't disruption required for growth and formation, for movement, for change? And isn't that like the whole bit, that part of the journey with God is being formed in the likeness of Christ? Think about all of the things that need to be disrupted to expand, like the very disruptive nature of new life and growth. I'm not a plant person because I can't be trusted to be a plant person, um, but I do know that plants outgrow their containers and that in order to expand, they need the disruption of being repotted. And I've never given birth before, but I do know that a whole lot of disruption happens to the body in order to bring forth that new life. I mean, think about how muscles grow. The fibers in our muscles, when they experience that resistance, literally break and the body goes to work in forming new fibers around it to grow. Like if that is not a disruptive process, I don't know what is. Disruption for the sake of growth and change is everywhere. And I would like to suggest it's needed. And we see it everywhere in Jesus. In our passage today, Jesus is questioned by people, maybe religious leaders, maybe not, it doesn't say, but he's questioned about this practice of fasting. Fasting in Jewish culture is a super normal practice. Um, it's even normal today in religious circles. We, in Christianity, um, are coming up on a season of fasting. Um, and there are all sorts of reasons that fasting would have been in play. Um, and, and so people are a little confused, maybe a little disrupted, that Jesus and his disciples seemed to not be following this norm, um, challenging what was expected. And his response is so funny to me. He uses this metaphor of a wedding. Uh, and in summary, what Jesus is saying is like, 
It's just not time for fasting. Inappropriate practice for the moment, and then he goes on to talk about new garments and wineskins to kind of illustrate this point. Like that's really the gist of our passage today. But there's a deeper layer there that I love. I just think it's compelling. Jesus isn't doing away with the practice of fasting. He's saying there will be a time when the practice will be appropriate again. But what he's doing to the system that says this is a norm, like this is how we do fasting, he's reaching in and he's adding nuance. He's not participating in it. He's challenging it. And to a closed, inflexible anything, be it a system, practice, person, or idea, nuance and challenge brings disruption. As I was sitting with the content of this morning, disruption and you know clear norms that I cling to, or maybe have in different seasons of my life, this memory um, just kept coming to me. And I'm choosing to just go with it. And I, I hope that you can see kind of what I'm doing here. Um, I remember when I was at my best church friend's 13th birthday party. And you know it's going to be a good story when I bring it back to 13. <laughs> uh, thriving in my life at 13. Um, and, and it was mostly my church friends. And we were sitting around. This was like pre-truth or dare in the evening. Um, and we were talking about the Christian stance on abortion. And we were sitting around, most of us adorning our uh, newly received purity rings, like the good young Christian evangelical girls we were. Um, and to be clear, I love that we were having like deep conversation about big things. Um, and as we were sharing in the room, kind of throwing in uh, our thoughts, creating this swirling echo chamber, I remember someone said, like crystal clear, I remember the feeling in my body when it was said. She said, I just don't know how anyone could ever disagree with us. And I remember receiving those words and feeling like, yeah. Totally. As if there was a whole host of angels behind me supporting this idea, this very particular Christian stance. At that point in my life, I would have said life is sacred. The unborn are the most vulnerable, and we must protect the unborn lives at all costs because that is of utmost importance to God. And now, to that 13-year-old self, I would maybe say, hey, Jenna, I love your thoughts. I love that you're thinking deeply about this big thing. And I have some questions for you. What happens when those unborn lives get born? And what happens if those unborn lives are born into poverty? And what happens if those unborn lives find themselves in a system that just doesn't always work super great? Like at what point in the journey of the unborn do you pick up your passion and care again? Like what about the life of the person that birthed the unborn? 
Like, is that in your scope? Now I know I'm painting with broad brushstrokes. I'm really aware of that. I'm hoping we feel disrupted. I'm not trying to facilitate a conversation on abortion or even share my own beliefs. What I'm trying to articulate is I think this is an example of something that we hold with staunch, inflexible belief about what God is okay with and not okay with. What I'm trying to do is to point out that those things that feel so clear and unquestioned in us, even in the name of God, it's just to ask this question, are we open to when God maybe comes in the form of disruption to those things? When we start to think a little bit deeper, when we start to see a little bit wider, when maybe we have an experience that shakes the foundation of what we think, now, I'm not saying you can't be confident in what you believe or that um, when you encounter something that maybe brings up some disruption, I'm not telling you that you just need to readily accept it and abandon everything else that you've ever believed. I'm not saying that. I'm asking, can we be disrupted? Or said differently, are we the kind of people that when God expands our proximity and understanding of a thing, are we the ones who could maybe trust that God is forming a new thing in us and inviting us to walk out of something old? I mentioned earlier that Jesus uses this metaphor of garments and wineskin to articulate the nuance of what time it is and what's needed for the moment. Um, and he says it in a, in a not very nuanced way. He says the old can't hold the new. What was can't usher in what is, and he's talking about himself and his ministry and inaugurating a different kind of kingdom, a different kind of system, if you will, one that's new and at the ready to produce life. And he sort of talks with an assumption of how silly it is that if we're clear on how to produce wine, that we would never put the new thing in the old thing, like why on earth would we think that way about God, the creator? God is a disruptor of old things. Things that aren't serving us the way they could be. Things we've outgrown. Things that have served their time. Things that are maybe even doing harm. And I want to just comment briefly on that last one. Those things doing harm, whether it be in our lives or in the world. Like when we get to a place where we are actually able to see the harm and the extent of that harm, um, sometimes the response to that is like, burn it down. Get as far away from that as you can. It is done. And things that would fall in that category, just to be really clear, that's like abuse. That's like ideologies that perpetuate harm like white supremacy. That's like addiction. Those are the things that like, they start bad. They start old. And like, I just wanna acknowledge that in the room that might be a part of the response uh, that, we, that we leave it uh, entirely and completely and 
I also don't want the one takeaway from this sermon to be, (laughs) we got to get rid of everything and start brand new. Like sometimes it is a little more nuanced. Sometimes it's a little more gentle than that. Sometimes it's just noticing that like whatever it is isn't working anymore. Sometimes it's seeing that there is an element in this relationship that maybe uh, you still want to be in this relationship, but there's an element that has some old that really needs attention. Like maybe it's a way of seeing yourself that just isn't serving you anymore. Maybe it's a way of seeing God that is wrapped up in some harmful theology. Maybe it's just a practice that used to work really well and you just need a new tool. I just believe that as we journey with God on this earth, God reveals the things that have become old and need to be made new. And what a beautiful thought. What an incredibly difficult process sometimes. Sometimes we hold on to old like there is no possible way we could be without it. Why do we do that? I don't know. I think there are a million answers to that question. Um, And sometimes it's just unique to you and your situation. And I guess what I've found in myself and in lots of others, it's comfortable. It's easy. Like, even if it's not serving me anymore, it's at least familiar. It's a well-worn path. I know what to expect. Maybe the oldness of it just feels livable. But every once in a while, there is a disruption to it. Something happens that, like, shakes it up. It's like that image of a snow globe where everything is lying dormant, and then all of a sudden... It's all moving again. And I found that I usually answer to those moments in one of two ways. I double down. I tighten my grip. I avoid and deny and distract. Or, on a good day, I let myself fall into it. I let it wash over me. I let myself feel the challenge of it. I let it invite me into discernment. I trust that it has something to teach me and that maybe God is present in it, forming me through it. As I was participating in the night, uh, the other night, in mindless numbing scrolling like many of us do, What a norm. (laughs) Um, I was disrupted when I saw the news of Amir Locke. 22-year-old young black man killed by police gunfire. This was a life created in the loving womb of Karen Wells. She birthed him into a world likely aware that the shade of his melanin might immediately instinctively read threat, but she hoped anyway. May he rest in power. May the ones who grieve him the most know the disruptive comfort of God and community. I just know that every time this happens, the things we know about and the things that 
we don't know about, right? The impact is just ripples. And for some, this hits just like to yourself, in your home. Like, is it going to be you next? Is it going to be your kid next? And if that is you, like to the degree that I'm able, as this white woman, to just say like, you are loved, I pray that you just have deep, immediate connection to your inherent dignity and worth and goodness. If you are in a space where like you can't feel it, do what you need. I also know that there are people at Awaken who are in law enforcement. And I wanna be really clear that when we name these things, this is not to not see you as well. The day to day that you find yourself in and it is to ask a question about the system that we have created. The norm that we have learned to live with. Like to the point where I, I learned and I just couldn't feel. I, right? That's not right. And the grief upon grief upon grief. Sometimes it takes time to get back into that feeling space. That's how normal it is. It is to acknowledge that we are in the midst of a massive conversation on policing. Why do we have things like no-knock warrants? Like where did that practice even come from? Why are we supportive of any practice if it's leading to any amount of fatal mistakes? Like, what, what are we doing? And I'd invite you, if you are feeling any amount of disruption at my words, I would invite you to sit with that and to do some asking about what is being disrupted. And I am not saying that my words are like the words of God by any means. And is it the kind of disruption that we need to sit with and pay attention to? God is a disruptor of old things. Things that don't work anymore, things that never worked, of things that hurt, of things that aren't good, of things that we have outgrown. And I just wanna be really clear and a reminder to maybe hold. It is always for something. Like that disruption is not in vain. It's not for the sake of just disrupting. It's for the sake of receiving the new thing. And it just begs this question in me, like how do we cultivate the kind of lives and the kind of humility it takes to be open to disruption. To remain tender to the slight or maybe really loud movements of the spirit that say it's time for the new thing. New garment, new wineskin. 
And it's not like there isn't sometimes a process to that where we have to shed layers before we get to a place where we can give a wholehearted yes to a transition into something new. And faithful response to those whispers or yells uh, does not necessarily mean that you need to abandon the life you've created. And I always want to add that to the fellow anxious people in the room who hear a sermon like this and think, oh, girl, got to start from scratch again. Um, no, I think there's a grace in the time that it takes to work through that resistance to say yes to what's new. And I guess I just... If life with God is what we want, I just don't know that there's any getting around the disruption piece. So I just want to be clear <laughs> about that. Um, but kind of like in closing, um, I wanted to read uh, from Howard Thurman's Meditation of the Heart. I know I read from this maybe too much, but this one today is just actually my all-time favorite, and I think he says it so much better than me. Um, but what he also does is he creates a category as well that I didn't touch on. Um, and it's this category that sometimes the old thing that we shed, or are being invited to shed, uh, actually started as a new thing. Um, and so as we close, this is really the prayer. Um, I'll read these words and then leave some time for silence and we'll transition into communion. It's called, I Will Sing a New Song. The old song of my spirit has wearied itself out. It has long ago been learned by heart, so that now it repeats itself over and over, bringing no added joy to my days or lift to my spirit. It is a good song, measured to a rhythm to which I am bound by ties of habit and timidity of mind. The words belong to old experience, which once sprang fresh as water from a mountain crevice fed by melting snows. But my life has passed beyond to other levels where the old song is meaningless. I demand of the old song that it meet the need of present urgencies. Also, I know that the work of the old song, perfect in its place, is not for the new demand. I will sing a new song. As difficult as it is, I must learn the new song that is capable of meeting the new need. I must fashion new words born of all the new growth of my life, my mind, and my spirit. I must prepare for new melodies that have never been mine before, that all that is within me may lift my voice unto God. How I love the old familiarity of wearied melody. How I shrink from harsh discords of the untried new harmonies. Teach me, my Father, that I might learn with the abandonment and enthusiasm of Jesus the fresh new accent, the untried melody, to meet the need of the untried tomorrow. Thus I may rejoice with each new day and delight my spirit in each 
fresh unfolding. I will sing this day a new song unto thee, O God. Amen. As we close, friends, um, maybe just an invitation or, I don't know, a comment. If anything was stirred in you that you feel like you need conversation about, um, further resourcing, I will do my best. Um, but I am available. Jenna at AwakenWestSeven.com. Receive these words as you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.